This is Matthew Curtis, and you're listening to the Good Beer Hunting Podcast. We're only a couple of episodes into exploring the UK's craft beer culture on this podcast, but already stories are beginning to emerge that I wouldn't have heard if we'd never started. Not long after speaking to Beavertown's creative director Nick Dwyer a few episodes back, I was approached by his good friend James Rylance of East London's Red Church Brewery. Rylance started telling me about his new brewing project at Red Church, Urban Farmhouse. Red Church has just expanded out of its home in East London to a brand new production facility in Essex, just outside of the city, making them the first of London's new wave brewers to do so. Red Church's owner, Gary Ward, has handed over the previous facility to Rylance so he can invest his time in creating interesting mixed ferments and using herbs and fruit in some truly experimental beers, a project he's dubbed Urban Farmhouse. Rylance himself has come a long way since he got into brewing while he was studying fine art. He cut his teeth at the Colonel Brewery before spending two years at Beavertown as they got up and running, which is where our story begins. I didn't expect this conversation to take quite the twists and turns that it does, however. Rylance went on to tell me about how, after leaving Beavertown, he spent two months making wine in Burgundy. We'll also find out about the six acres of land where Red Church will be growing their own fruit and herbs and discuss the relevance that the term farmhouse has for a brewery underneath a railway arch in East London. This is James Rylance of Red Church Brewery. Listen in. So you just said the Jester King guys in the brewery today? How's uh, that? No, they were hopefully uh, in tomorrow. And, oh, they didn't make it in today? No, okay. it makes sense. I think they're probably just crawling down from Manchester. Okay. Um, yeah, we've been hanging out at the um, at Indie Man Beer Com. Uh, Fantastic. Just uh, chatting with those guys and kind of kindred spirits, interested in the same sort of things. Um, working on kind of not similar projects that are much further down the road than us, but kind of inspired by the same sort of ideas. Oh, pretty amazing. So for those listening in, the Independent Manchester Beer Convention or Indie Man Beer Con, mm-hmm. as James was just referring to, uh, that was up in Manchester this weekend. Yep. Um, and Jester King had, had a stand, which is pretty pretty cool yeah you drank a lot of their beers yeah uh, just basically sat like some old and hanged out brilliant um it's kind of uh yeah it was i was talking to um guys from shelton brothers who distribute them as well as ourselves in the states um we're just heading out for the uh, shelton festival in a couple of weeks Amazing. um and uh and yeah like th- those guys were like yeah we we're seeing more jester king beard now in this festival than we see in the states because they're selling yeah. i think something i think it's around about the 85 percent mark yeah. of their volume on site um, through kind of but, yeah. through the weekends or haven't whenever they're open. So I've seen thousands of people come through, which is pretty amazing. That's awesome. It's quite funny actually because uh, this weekend was GABF as well, and my dad was there and he said Jester King had this line of 200 people mm-hmm. the whole time. Yeah. And he's like, well, I can't be bothered to queue. There's like so many other breweries I can just walk up to and buy beer. That's that's my dad. I kind of get where, where he's coming from. I'd probably pick one or two breweries to queue and then do the same. Yeah. But. Um, yeah, and then they were, they were in Manchester, which is amazing, and pouring, the, you know, pouring the beers. And yeah, d- you know, it's always the way in in, in festivals. I did the uh, Copenhagen beer celebration um, with Mar Brewery Beef Town, and you'd see you know big queues trying to get you know barrel aged double IPAs from Three Floyds or, or whatever else. That sort of you know kind of big hitters. Yeah. But then no one would be going to, you know. Or like the queues would be much more like Crooked Stave. Yeah. Or like, yeah, Jester King. Yeah. Um, which, you know, for me is like all I want to drink. Yeah. Um, so you bought a lovely bottle of natural wine for us to drink, uh, but my corkscrew has snapped um, <laughs> and I am I'm gutted. But um, I pulled this bottle out that I got sent the other day and um, it, um, Michael Kaiser, the other host of the podcast, he had... Mike Siegel and uh, Ron Pattinson, who consulted on this beer, which is a stock ale done with Goose Island. So I figure Sounds know, great. let's get into it. Yeah. Um, so are you going to be brewing with Jester King? Uh, hopefully, yeah. They, uh, if they get an opportunity to pop into brew, then yeah, we'll hang yeah. out. And uh, uh, Nothing official yet, but uh, yeah. It's, um, it's always sort of the ways at festivals, you, you know, you kind of, I think people who are interested in the same sort of things end up hanging out and then brewers are 
you know, there's a common thread going through most brewers, I feel. Um, though it's, you know, hopefully a diverse group. Um, but yeah, you're kind of like, oh, we should do something because we're kind of both going down a similar sort of route at the moment. Cheers. Cheers, man. So let's take it back to the start. Um, I really want to talk about the Urban Farmhouse project you've got to, you're doing at Red Church. Mm-hmm. But let's get on to that later. How the hell did you get into brewing in the first place? Um, I was, uh, as a lot of people were, the kind of fairly standard story of home brewing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I got uh, incredibly lucky. Um, I met the guys at the Colonel yeah. um, very early on. Uh, I think they'd been open less than a year. Um, down on Drew Street, which is now the kind of rope walk sort of thing, mm-hmm. um, when there was nothing there apart from them and ham and cheese, and um, and yeah, I just kind of turned up and I was mind blown. I was in my second year of um, fine art university at Chelsea, yeah. doing a BA there, um, and was yeah. So, just, so you were studying fine art. Yeah, I was doing and sculpture. Now you're, and now you're a brewer. Yeah, and there's, <laughs> I think there's a lot of coherence. I think there's a lot of overlap. Yeah, um, you do see a lot of people who've done, you know art or music or, you know, like yourself, yeah. or, or anything like that, you know, that's... We've had this, com- yeah, we've had this conversation before. A lot of people come from music and, yeah. And, and you know, and, and my best mate, Nick, you know, yeah. like we, we were at art school together and, and you know, there's, it is an incredibly creative job in some elements of it. Um, mm. And I think that's why people go down the route. But yeah, um, I was uh, incredibly lucky to meet the guys at the Colonel um, uh, when it was, uh, you know, right back at the start. And I just sort of said I'd clean anything and yeah. just let me hang out and just try and absorb as much information as I possibly could. Um, and yeah, I mean, a huge, a huge amount of my career I owe to Evan. Um, yeah. And the, so that's Evan O'Reardon at the yeah, Colonel. Yeah. yeah. Um, that he's, uh, you know, I don't see him a huge amount, you know, you know, once every kind of few weeks or month or something like that, but he's been a kind of consistent, kind of guidance I suppose you know mm. the big decisions I've made in my career have, have, have all been run past him yeah. um, and though you know I think there's always lots of influences on it I think he's been one of the, the really big ones so yeah I started uh, interning there learning how to brew um, and working there on kind of weekends when the bar was open yeah um, and, and you still studying at the time or, or yeah, yeah yeah and I went through my second year and through my third yeah um, so it's back there for sort of about a year and a half um and then, yeah, it was through Evan that um, I got my job at Beeftown. Um, I was making... See, they, they tell it very differently. Oh, yeah? Like, they're like, you just, like, walked in to Duke's Brewing Q and Logan was... This is how Nick tells it. The mythology. So we had Nick Dwyer <laughs> on a couple of my episodes ago, yep. who's the creative director at Beeftown, who... This is how this came about. And, uh, yeah, he told me that you... Just came into the restaurant at Duke's Brewing Q and uh, just said to Logan, oh, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm brewing, come and help. Kind of, in a sense, yeah. But the um, the, the the thing that got me through the door mm. into Duke's was Evan. Um, yeah. So I was making uh, uh, Evan's son, Kai, who's, I think he's about five now. Mm-hmm. His second birthday present was a sandbox um, on a pallet that we could ship around the brewery. Um, so I don't know if you've ever been down to the Colonel. I've but, seen the sandbox. Yep, so that basically is the so reason you, you I have built a, the sandbox. Yep, that's the reason I have a job. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> serendipity at its finest. Um, yeah. And yeah, it was, I was building that and I was, I was, I'd just left uni, I hadn't even graduated, um, but I'd had kind of you know, the final exhibition um, and was looking for a gig and they didn't have a spot going at, um, at Colonel, but Evan took me and a couple of the guys from the Colonel up for dinner at Duke's. Yeah. And basically put me in front of Logan and went, there you go, there's your bro. Um, <laughs> and awesome. when Evan says something like that to you, I think Logan went, okay, cool. All right. yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, what year was this? Uh, whew, uh, five years ago. So I, at that point, I guess the, the Colonel were something sort like of that. the, the maybe, maybe early f- adopters. And four? I guess, four, anyway, yeah. Sorry. And if you were starting a brewery, everyone was being, you know, Logan was inspired by Evan at the Colonel. So you basically, if, if Evan said, do this. And, you probably went, yeah, okay. And I think there's there's a lot of very loud voices now um, in the brewing world, uh, more than there was you know back then. You know, actually, yeah, there's me for starters. <laughs> there is it, <laughs> um, but you know, there's a lot of people talking and a lot of a lot of people in high places. But actually, the the person I feel that almost has a universal respect and very deservedly so is Evan. That he's. I'd love to have him on the podcast, but I'd be I'd be quite nervous. Like he's he's very 
He's Yoda. Very calm. He's very he's Yoda, calm. He's Yoda, but uh, like he, when you speak to him, the way he thinks, he you, you'll ask him a question, and then you'll you, you go twenty seconds of silence while he forms the entire sentence perfectly, and then he only says it. And uh, that would be, I'd love to do it. Terrifying for a podcast. <laughs> it, it, it would be, it would be a challenge. Um, Get the nuggets of wisdom, though. I'd be, I'd be up for it. Um, and how's brewing at Beavertown? Did you start in Dukes or did you start at their, yeah, their second yeah, place? Yeah, as was employee number one um, of Beavertown. Yeah, no, it was, it was great. It was wild. We, um, we used to brew in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. We had to get in at five in the morning to get the brew done before the kitchen really kicked off. Um, it was mad. We were fermenting. We first started fermenting in the cellar and then we got a lock up down the road. So we were pumping it into the back of a van, driving the wort down the road and pitching it into a fermenter in a lock up like half a mile up the road. Um, and yeah, it was it was nuts. Um, and it just I mean, it, when I started, it was, you know, brew pub orientated it was selling the beer in the brew mm. pub it wasn't really there weren't any kind of um other big accounts anywhere else really did you have an inkling that they wanted to grow as much as they have um it's kind of hard to say really i think at the time we were we were just really enjoying it. i think the point at which i felt things started to shift um was when we did uh gamma and betty yeah um and uh, you know both you know the the recipes that put together, but also you know Nick coming on board yeah. was was I think a a, a catalytic moment. I don't know if yeah, right by putting everything everything clicked. Yeah, and I think Betty especially. I mean, it was our first experience of selling everything instantly. Mm-hmm. You know, just, just the whole batch went. Yeah, um, and then that was actually it was a lovely day actually because Toby from the Colonel, who's the sort of head brewer, I suppose there, mm-hmm. um, he came up and helped me brew it. So all of my recipes, like you know like Betty and Gamma and, and Neckall and whatever else, they, you know, I make no bones that they, they come from inspiration from other people and, you know, come from what I've learned from other people. There's no real new ideas under the sun. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's basically a um, the Colonel's Black IPA recipe with little tweaks because we had some of the ingredients they had and all yeah. the rest of it, you know, yeah. and, it, and it happened to work. Um, but, yeah, so um, I think at that point when Nick really kind of came in with and made an image of a brewery that you know essentially didn't exist at that point really you know you look we used to look at flying dog uh and there yeah ralph stedman and exactly there are definite similarities there yeah exactly we were looking at about that before yeah that's that's interesting that was one of the ones we looked at and we were like oh that's pretty cool we like that um but, you know, at the time, there was, I think, a lot of people's brandings was more, in the UK anyway, was slightly more towards a sort of typography-based, um, like like the Colonel is and like my current brewery, Red Churches. Yeah. Um, that kind of orientated. So Nick was the first one to really take it down like a an illustrative um, kind of graphic normal kind of, yeah. you know, thing. So it sounds like you had a pretty good gig at the Be- at Beaver Town. How, how long were you there for? Uh, I was there about two and a half years. Two and a half years. So... So why did you leave? Um, we we grew a lot. It was a lot of... We went from the pub and the mm. lock-up yeah. to Hackney Wick. I don't think we were even in Hackney Wick. Um, we uh, installed and built everything in a whole brewery in seven days. Um, from, like, get the keys to first brew, um, which was kind of insane. Um, yeah. And then we did... Um, then we did so Hackney Wick with the the sort of four and a half five barrel original kit, mm. um, and then into um, into Tottenham, and I think that was about six months in Tottenham at the big kit, and yeah, um, yeah, kind of. It was at a point at which in my brewing I had to kind of make a decision: is whether I wanted to go down the experimental route, um, and whether I wanted to keep pushing and move basically in towards farmhouse brewing. Um, and diverse cultures, mm-hmm. um, and then also using more unusual ingredients and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Or yeah. whether I wanted to, um, you know, really take on kind of responsibilities in production. And uh, at this stage, Jen, Jen Marrick had come on board, who's fantastic, and she was um, head brewer of, of kind of the whole thing. And I was sort of essentially lead brewer, I suppose, but also doing all the research and development. So really, it was whether I wanted to do lead brewing or R and D brewing, mm. um, and. 
Yeah, about two and a half years worth of, of constant growth. It, it kind of took its toll a bit. And yeah. I, I was ready for a bit of a break. I mean, it's not stopped as well since since you've moved on. It did just, yeah, just, it, just keep growing. Yeah, the, and the pace, is, the, the pace is relentless. And those guys are doing brilliantly. And yeah. All part of them, really. But, yeah, I mean, you talk about wanting to get into uh, farmhouse brewing and mm-hmm. things like that. But now they have the Tempest Project, which, which, you know, to be fair, Logan gives you some of the credit for the inspiration behind that. Do you feel like you've left a part of you at Beaver Town? Um, or is that, it, sounds, they... it sounds a little bit dramatic. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, you know, I, I think those guys are brilliant. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it was it was slightly, you know, it was, it was slightly rough when I think when I left because, you know, we're all very close and very uh, quite emotional about the whole thing. Are you on the neck oil can? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. just for people who haven't drank beaver town the neck oil session ipa has 11 uh portraits in nick dwyer's skull style Nixon. Of, of the original 11 my other best mate jim shepherd's in it yeah yeah that's so the, the original 11 <laughs> staff and it's still still the can it's it's kind of like a a, a diagram of a point in time yeah ma- cool. milestone definitely yeah. it's like point in the road isn't yeah. it yeah so so then you went to red church how did that come about um i well after um after Beavertown, I went out to Burgundy and I made wine with um, Andrew Nielsen, yep. who's a fantastic winemaker. Um, uh, his company's called Le Grappin. Yeah, I've, uh, yeah. Uh, you know what? I speak to a lot of people. Maybe I should get him on as well because... He's, he's a proper he, he's, beer nerd he as well. He provides yeah. barrels for a lot of people, like Wild Beer Co., Beavertown. Yep. Yep. Ourselves, um, yeah. And he does, yeah, just some interesting wines. Yeah, he's um, he's, he's killing it, man. He's, yeah. he's smashing it. And he's a great guy. Um and uh, yeah, I kind of rang him up and said, "Look, you know, this is where I'm at. I need some, you know, I need a bit of headspace. Um, can I come and do the uh, 2014 vintage? Yeah, can I come and do that with you? So um, off a try. Basically, this time, two years ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, buggered off for uh, for about six weeks, two months, something like that. And made wine. Uh, I made wine. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, and how like how was that? Like, where were you living? Absolutely. Like long hours? Oh, mate, nothing. Oh, breweries. How's it, yeah, how's it, how's it compared to brewing? <laughs> well, basically, because winemakers is, you know, it's, it's seasonal. It's, it's directly connected to seasons in the land. So you yeah. are getting grapes in as they are ready. So if things back up, if you have three vineyards in different places that all turn up at the same time, you're going to be pressing. And yeah. you're going to be pressing through the night. So we did a couple of, you know, 22 hour shifts, you know. Where it's just constant, you know, you sit, you're on a sorting table picking out like any rot. You're pressing with your feet. You're cleaning tanks. You're preparing barrels. You're doing everything because it all happens at once. You know, I think there's, there's a, it made me appreciate brewing hugely because mm. you know if I take a risk in brewing, and we do a lot, you know, in what we're doing with urban farmers. If I take a risk, doesn't pay off, fine, yeah, I'll dump it, go tomorrow, like, and I get that back. And your you boss think, is happy with that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, because I think, you know, if we're not taking it to that edge, then we're not doing what Urban Farmhouse is there to do. Yeah. You know, if, if we never failed, then essentially we're playing in a similar sort of park as as everything else. You know, we're yeah. not doing anything that's right on the edge. Um, but yeah, so I think with, with winemaking, it was, it was, it changed me hugely. Um, yeah. It, it made me understand booze making to do with that, to do with ingredients. Yeah. Solely. I like that term, booze making. Booze making. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. yeah, it's booze making. Like yeah. you know, I think there's um, the the highest compliment in the brewery is if someone says it's cool booze. Like cool booze is like you just taste it you're like cool booze. Yeah. Um, which is about yeah, it's about as least technical thing you could possibly say. Um, but yeah, so in winemaking, really, I don't understand ingredient driven brewing. Oh, so ingredient driven you know, booze making, um, mm. and came back kind of revitalised. I spent a lot of time with barrels, um, yeah. a lot of time with fruit, um, a lot of time drinking things, drinking a lot of natural wine, but also, you know, natural wine as the turn has become quite fashionable, but, you know, you have... I heard that winemakers drink a lot of cheap beer, cheap cold French beer. Yeah, because you, you try drinking loads of wine when you're making wine, you're pissed. Yeah. Yeah, they drink... They, well, Andrew's great. We just had, like, kegs of everything. We had, like... We had like Kelso's on, which is just a wicked like yeah. booze making, wine making drink. Yeah. Um, all sorts of stuff. And it was perfect, you know, you can't you can't go you can't go drinking wine at that time. No. Um 
so yeah, no, I, I sort of came back um, f- absolutely full of ideas um, and just ready to go again. Um, knackered, but yeah. different knackered, like physically knackered, yeah. but like mentally ready. Yeah, um, that's that's a good feeling. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And um, so then yeah, I started doing some bits and bobs, some consultancy work. Um, there was talk at one point or another with starting up uh, my own sour brewery and yeah. sour farmhouse brewery but um then yeah it's, was doing some consultancy work for red church yeah and um gary was like well you know this thing that you want to do you know this sour farmhouse brewery let's do it but you started doing it in the 10 barrel brewery underneath the railway arch in east london where they were also making their core range right yeah so what we you know basically what we had to do was get the brewery to the stage at which we built a new 30-barrel kit. Um, and at that point, core range production is taken care of. And was that already in, when you got to Redshirts, were they already planning building this big 30-barrels, uh, which yeah. they've just moved into just a couple of months ago? Yep, yeah. Um, in fact, they're the fir- I think they're the first like sort of new wave London brewery who've moved out town. outside of London, which yep. is, that's a big deal. It's big deal, After yeah. having a production brewery. Yeah, it's... Um, I'm surprised it took so long for someone to do it, actually. Well, I mean, the, the yeah, it's just killer. You know, we yeah. were looking for a site, you know, and rent was high, but even the, the availability of sites was so low. So it, you know, what can you do? Um, and we found a great spot out in Harlow, all the space in the world, um, and really good price, so we're like, happy days. And it's actually, it's it's it takes less time to get to Harlow than it does to get to West London. So actually, it's... It was a no-brainer yeah. for us, really. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, put, we could put it on the other side of town, but, you know, it, it would actually take less time to do that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when I started, the kind of, the the conversation had begun and it was very much something that was there, but the kind of, uh, the nitty-gritty of planning hadn't really started. Um, and then we just really jumped into it. Um, and it took a little bit longer than we thought. You know, we, we were kind of aiming for a little bit less than two years, but... Yeah. But, yeah, happy, well... Over the moon, how it went. It went, you know, fantastically. Would you like some more of this beer? Sure. Yeah, yeah go for it. How are you getting on with it? Yeah, it's good, man. It's, um, I, ex- I expect the funk's going to come through a bit more in future. Yeah. It depends what they've done with it, but. So it's £20 a bottle, which um, in dollars at the moment, I guess, is about £20. Yep, yep, yeah, about £20. <laughs> Judging by the and current about £20 as well. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. Last time I had it, it was really cold. And there's a there's a thing at the back of the throat which wasn't there when it's really cold. Mm-hmm. That very it's a little bit more acidity, bretty, yeah, acetic note. But it's big. It's like a big growing up Orval. That's it, it. Very much reminds me of that. Yeah, it doesn't it, quite have that Belgian that wheaty. I was going to say it's not Orval's. I think it's got like a soft spot in many people's hearts. Um, and it's not quite got the funk that you get on like a nice kind of eighteen month onwards Orval. But yeah. It's got a little bit more robustness in the kind of malt structure. And yeah, it's stronger, I think. Yeah, it's got a bit more booze on it, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so um, back to Red Church. Yep. Um, so you were making, you started this, you call it Urban Farmhouse. Yep. And uh, for me, the term farmhouse is funny. I grew up in, in rural Lincolnshire, rural in the north of England, r- rural Shropshire. And so the farmhouse yeah. to me is, a, you know, a barn, yep. a barn on a farm. And like, do you think, you call it urban farmhouse because yep. you're making beer in in London, but do you think the term far, farmhouse has been misappropriated? Um, for me, um, we talked a lot about kind of defining it. You know, yeah. is it the right language yeah. to describe really what we're doing? Farmhouse for me is about um, essentially pre-industrialised brewing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about... Um, being driven by seasonal and local ingredients. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's, it's less so much, you know, exactly same as you. I grew up in, um, in rural Shropshire on a farm, um, which we can talk a bit about yeah. later. I don't know if I mentioned that before, but um, yeah, I think the, the term farmhouse is kind of separated from the, the geography or the architecture of it, but actually it's about um, processes that processes and ingredients that were, kind of heart back to pre-industrialised brewing in no sense for historic kind of um, nostalgia mm-hmm. but for the more diverse range in which things can go yeah for example if you're talking about the cultures that you use will we use mixed cultures in basically everything we do now yeah um but 
standardization and singular culture brewing would suggest, you know, which is kind of industrial, that is one culture the whole way through. Same with the ingredients. So we're using a lot of fresh herbs. We're using what's growing in the local area. We're foraging quite a lot of ingredients. Um, we're looking, actively looking for growers to be growing inconsistently in the sense of we want them to take risks. We want them to grow unusual things. We want diversity. Yeah. Um, and it's through that diversity that we can really kind of go down new routes. Um, but yeah, I mean, the farm, for example, yeah. um, we, uh, we're going to have a farm, essentially. The brewery is going to have its own farm. Okay, where? Um, um, <laughs> in so, London? No, 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 no. Uh, in Chopshaw, my family, okay. family farm. So we're going to uh, six acres. Yeah. Um, uh, That's crazy. That's good, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was something that we've been playing around with, or I've been playing around in the back of my head with, and trying to work out how I'd make it work. And then quite quickly, actually, as soon as we started Urban Farmhouse, and we were just able to, I, I didn't have any of the responsibilities, I could just do that. Um, we realised quite how much we could do with herbs. Um, yeah. So the next stage was like, right, well, let's, it's, let's, let's crack on. Um, Didn't you just brew it, grew it? Yeah. 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 Well, I don't really know how to, grew it's an ugly word. It's just not a very nice word to say, is it? Yeah. But we've, we've I mean, a lot of our beers <laughs> are technically grew it's because they've got no hops in. No you know, hops. We've got, we've, yeah. But we have got one that is like, uh, at the moment we've got lem- a beer that's sort of partially soured um, and it's got lemon verbena, uh, lemon balm, bay and sage, um, which is tasting brilliantly. Okay. Um, but yeah, so what basically the farm's going to be doing is growing our herbs. Um, so it's a uh, slightly sandy soil, completely virgin land. It's had just sheep on it for 25 years. Okay. Um, no pesticides, no herbicides, no fertilizers. Um, yeah, it's killer. It's Amazing. such good land. Um, so yeah, we start planting, we've got to start, um, plant some protective hedges to protect against the wind. Yeah. That happens in the next couple of months. Um, then the main beds go in the spring. Uh, we'll look to get the first crop out of it this year. So like with most Red Church projects, they're a lot further on than I anticipated. That's, 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 that's pretty amazing. Cause when you first described Urban Farmhouse, this project for you, you you've got, um, I thought, you know, it's, this is a long-term project, you know, you're not talking months, you're talking years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you convince Gary, the owner of Red Church, how did you convince him to do this project? Because obviously you've got a really key core range, mm-hmm. which you've now got this big production, 30-barrel brewery outside of London. Yep. And and you have managed to convince him, it's like, I'm going to turn your old brewery, in. I'm going to fill it with barrels and make beer with herbs. How the hell do you convince a brewery owner to do that? Well, I mean, beer, he, he's, beer, he was a home brewer as well. Yeah, isn't it? like yeah. he's 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 just as excited as I am. You know, it was I don't think there really was much convincing, and he was, you know, we were almost simultaneously talking about the same thing. You know, we were just okay. We're going to take it somewhere, um, and he's a fantastic boss. That you know, two years ago we sat down and he said, "You will have free reign to do what you want with Urban Farmhouse." And, you know, he's going to be there and he's going to be involved and he's going to, you know, he's getting back into brewing, which is brilliant. Yeah. So many people who start breweries end up in the office and never get out. But yeah, G's getting his welly back, wellies back on. Um, That's good to hear. Yeah, it's fantastic. Because he, he, uh, I remember the first time I met him um, and he, it was uh, the old Ford Export Stout, which you call an Export Stout, but it's basically a black IPA. Mm. (laughs) That is controversial. I I don't know how I feel about that. Um, but it, it, yeah, well, the, the, those early batches put Betty and Old Ford next to her, they're really different. Yeah, that's yeah, good point. But um, yeah, he was very enthusiastic with his hopping regimes when I like still is, you know. It, but it, the, the beer stood out when it was just him, you know, he'd given up his job in the city mm. and um, they, they stood out then. But yeah, now but now you now you're making them sort of en masse while you sour things, but you. You had a few accidents as well, didn't you, with the core range when you were starting this project? Yeah, there was... Well, it wasn't so much starting the project. There was... You know, I think a lot of breweries go through it. Um, you know, there's uh, risks when you're brewing core beers yeah. alongside these farmhouses. Yeah, there's absolutely I mean, risks. I remember I mean, having a very tasty, breaded version of your Great Eastern IPA. Yeah, and these, you know, these things, you, as a brewer, you try your best to avoid them, but you know, with the, the equipment that we had and in the space that we were, unfortunately, occasionally there were, you know, these things happened. Um, and we'd always, you know, if we knew about it, we would recall the stock and, you know, replace it. But, you know, essentially our brewery has a uh, its own ecology. 
Yeah. It has its own microflora. Um, the brewery down in, in Bethnal Green, you know, it's a Victorian railway arch. Yeah. Well, well my, I don't know, George and Victoria and Edwardia, I'm not sure. Um, and it's, it's funny when you say that, it's it's an old railway arch and you think, oh, bacteria. It doesn't sound very nice, but then if you think of someone like Cantillon, like that's like in yeah, exactly. uh, a pretty industrial, area, industrial rough part of Brussels. Yeah. And that's the same thing and you know that's all romance so yep. can Bethnal Green bacteria and wild yeast be as romantic as Brussels do you think <laughs> well who knows um I mean you look at for example you talk to beekeepers and you talk to them about what's the best place for having bees um and though there's some there's some sort of counter arguments there is a strong argument that actually more urban environments um, and suburban are much better than pure rural areas, you know, pure agricultural rural areas. Because unfortunately, the vast majority of agricultural areas are based out in large block monocultures. Um, yeah. So in large block so monocultures... So wheat and barley crops, basically. Yeah. yeah. And, and, For you cereal. Know, and yeah, you know, you know yeah. The, the classic thing, you know, um, rapeseed production. Yes. Um, and growing a rape, then there'll be a huge amount of blooming at one time and not a lot of the other. Yeah. So you have bees who will be basically populating certain areas and all the rest of it. But in... A city or a suburban area, you tend to have a lot more bio um, diversity of plants flowering different times, because basically gardens are full of all sorts. Yeah. Um, so people think, oh, you know, countryside, lovely. You watch a, an advert for honey nut Cheerios or something, or I don't yeah, know, you know, and it's going to have countryside on. But actually, that's not the case. You know, it wouldn't work. It's actually better to have bees in the countryside. Yeah. Sorry, in the city, and in the sense of actually, there's a similar thing in terms of bloomings of yeast. Mm. Um, at different times, you know, due to fluctuations in, in local crops. So, yeah. you know, if you're downwind of an orchard, you have a massive blooming, but then you also tend to have a bit of a, you know, something a bit more funky coming on the end of the season. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, I don't think there's no hard, there's not really any hard and fast rules. Um, yeah. And I think you can find fantastic things in terrible places and you can find terrible things in fantastic places in terms of microflora. Yeah. Um, and it's also, you know, we're going, we're at the moment, basically cropping from tank to tank and developing a house culture that includes our house brett, um, our yep. house lactics, you know, our, our the the saison strains that we use, but also it would be from you know, friends as well, you know, talking to other brewers and they go, oh, I've got this great culture, I've got this thing developing, this beer's doing this. You, you take a little, you know, you, you take a, um, a sample off of them, you propagate it up and everyone who is doing this sort of thing is, is kind of feeling it out um, and is very open to share ideas and, you know, with like the Just King guys, you know, yeah. trying different ideas from each other and, you know, even chatting with the guys from uh, Brew by Numbers and what they're doing at the moment. Um, so how does it feel in the space now you're not doing core beer there? You need, like, this is a recent thing. You've now got two arches. Steadier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Steadier. <laughs> um, now, you've now got two arches all to yourself. So how does it feel to have that breathing space? Um pretty much the happiest I've been as a brewer. Yeah. I'm... That I can understand. Yeah. Uh, I used to have empty key kegs ready for filling, boxes, packing, and now you have a room full of barrels. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and a bottle machine. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You, you also have the tap room in there, though, don't you? Yeah. Which is like... like, And your tap room is... It's one of the better tap rooms in, in London. But it's, it's kind of like a, a proper like party. It's kind of ravey on a Friday night, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's different to, you know, I used to work the, um, uh, the Colonel tap room on the Saturdays. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of, Colonel, Partisan, you know, the, the kind of uh, brew by numbers, the sort of the beer mile, unfortunately it's been called that, but yeah, the, mm. that bit, Bermsey. Um, you know, they're, they're kind of essentially... So I'm going to interject there. Why do you think it's unfortunate that it's, it's the beer mile? Um... Because you have stag do's going up and down it all day. Yeah, that's that, we could. That's another conversation that could go on for a long time. Yeah. It's it's kind of like it's tough for the beer fans, but there's also the argument that everyone has the right to go and enjoy a bar. They do. They're absolutely right. Absolutely, everyone has the right to go enjoy a bar, and when people behave like pricks. Yeah, that's, and that's when, the that's, other, when, that's the other part of the argument. But yeah, anyway. So um, back to your bar. Yeah. So the great thing about your. Like I, so there's a great bar near your brewery called Mother Kelly's and yep. I've sat in there and said, I'm going to go to the Red Church bar. And they're like, oh, where is it? Because it is down kind of like a... The world's dodgiest alleyway. Pretty scary yeah. alleyway. Because Bethnal Green, now it's, it's just it's pretty vibrant, but yeah. it used to be a pretty yeah. rough area. I mean, in the time that we've been in those arches, you know, over four years now, 
Um, there's it's been a big change. You know, yeah. Kelly's wasn't there. Um, Sagan Wild wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, Dundee Arms was you know still an old boxers pub. Yeah. Um, whereas now you know Peg and Patriot wasn't there. Typing yeah. Room. You know, you look at those places, shit, you know. Yeah. Some You've got Satan's Whiskers, isn't it? Yeah, the cocktail yeah, it's bar. If you end up in Satan's Whiskers, you're definitely in trouble. <laughs> uh, it's dark and they play good music and good Negronis and it's just... It's yeah, end. good music, strong cocktails, well-made cocktails. It's, and you can't see outside. Like, you know, there's quite dark, you know, it's quite dark and very yeah, light. Yeah. yeah, this is it. Um, yeah, so it's, it's it really has developed and it, it's, it's nice now, but we are down a proper little scary little alleyway. But then it's kind of nice because when people do find it, um, and they're finding it a lot at the moment. Um, yeah, it's very, it's got a good vibe, and it doesn't, it doesn't, because it's not on the main strip. Pardon me, uh, it's not on the on the main strip, so really people can go there and you know settle in. Yeah, and be there for ten people. People tend to be there for the whole night. Um, we yeah, have great and, music and you have DJs it. and it's, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a party venue, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, so I mean, at the moment we're open Thursday nights, Friday nights and Saturday day and night, but we'll soon be opening on Sundays as well and yeah. you know, do events on Wednesdays and we've got a great um, great bar manager in Kieran and he's kind of really pushing that forward. Um, and yeah, it's a good spot. It's a good spot to talk about what we're doing as well because yeah. um, you know, we've, I think it can be a little bit confusing for some people that, you know, we've got one brewery, we've got another brewery and they're asking very different questions and you know, in some senses are going down very well, in a lot of sense, actually going down very different avenues. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's a good place to actually have a communication and face-to-face with the customers. Yeah. And you have a dartboard. Which I, I, I often have I fear of God there when I'm on the Friday night and people are playing darts at like 11 and it's like, like I just have this vision of someone walking through the path of the dart and getting one in the side of the yeah, face, yeah, losing yeah. an eye. They're just playing spears. They're not playing darts at that point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what are we going to be drinking soon? And soon. what are we going to be drinking in a few years time? Because you, you say you're in this really great place as, as a brewer. Mm-hmm. You've basically got uh, this carte blanche, if you will. To do, you can do what you want. I saw on Instagram you were stomping on plums mm-hmm. every day. You've got different herbs in the brewery. So what am I, what are we going to be drinking soon? Mm-hmm. Because there's not a lot out there at the moment, is there? No, no, there's almost nothing. What? So what? We, yeah. What? What's what's coming first? Well, so first up, we have um, the first releases will probably be tartlet, which is our base Berliner. Yeah. And so we don't. Uh, so ke- kettle sour. No. No. So this is the interesting thing that um, we've completely moved away from kettle souring. I think uh, a lot of brewers making mixed ferments will probably be smiling, hopefully. Yeah. Well, you just... It, it, There's some strong opinions. What we do is a staggered fermentation. Sours. Yeah, and the problem is... I like them. I like you, a goza. When you boil... A goza's... Yeah, we'll, we'll come around to that. <laughs> um, when you boil a, a, a wort with lactic in it, or a, a kind of a, a naturally fermented lactic, as opposed, as opposed to like a lactic acid, um, when you boil lactobacillus... You lose so much vibrancy. You know, it, it, it's one of the nicest tasting things in a brewery. It's like this honey, lemon, elderflower water that is just sweet and sour. Well, that's why Gers is so good, right? Uh, well, I don't know. I think I, that's a big question. Uh, <laughs> yeah. let's, okay, let's come back to what yeah, you're doing. Yeah, um, yeah. so we were kind of trying this and we're like, God, this is just the most delicious thing. But then we were, we were boiling it and losing... All of that, and it was just acidity, mm. and you know it was it was a nicer acidity than just adding lactic acid, which becomes very angular and actually points on the palate. And it's not very pleasant. Um, we wanted to maintain that, so we're like, well, hang on, we're just doing the wrong thing here. Like, you know, now we have the freedom, we've got to keep it alive. So, we what we do is we transfer to the fermenter um, at um, forty six degrees C, pitch lactic acid in an anaerobic, oh, sorry, lactobacillus in an anaerobic environment, mm-hmm. allow that to sour. Um, however that takes on you know usually it's between 20 to 40 uh, 24 to 48 hours yeah um, and then we drop tension with the chillers uh, aerate and pitch yeast and then that's it you know and then let that do its thing and that means that essentially we have a staggered mixed fermentation we allow the lactobacillus to get established first and then we pitch um, so tartlets can be coming out first and that's really just so you're not boiling these beers uh, we're boiling before before we, pitching the lacto. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So they're totally live. Um, then we're going to have um, pillow of salt, our goes, 
uh, doing her dry hop sale. And that's kind of like us getting our feet under the table, getting yeah. set up, getting good feel about how the lactic culture is feeling because it's constantly working with culture. Yeah. It's constantly working cultures that are um, metamorphosizing and changing all the time and evolving. Um, then next coming out is, as you saw, my, my feet stomping a load of plums. Yeah. Um, so uh, two batches of Onskins plums. Um, is so that gone into barrels or is that first first batch went to barrels second batch I think I'll do straight yeah um, potentially put some in and blend it back um, I'm going to have a fiddle with it see how the barrels because it's first Phil Pinot Noir Burgundy Pinot Noirs that I that I found yeah. well I, I got through Andrew Nielsen so it's the, yeah. the, the stuff that I was doing when I was at so that's this is the benefit of working for a you know, a vineyard, you've now got access to these exactly. first full yeah, yeah. barrels. Yeah, so they're, they're, they're empty. I think they're about six. I think they've been through about uh, four to six vintages. Um, and then they come to us and they're just, they're just knockout. They're just beautiful things. I mean, they're lovely things in terms of beautiful piece of carpentry, but an incredible, you know, smell and, and microflora in there. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be packaging some of that, which is essentially a natural fermentation. Yeah. Um, in terms of we pressed the plums which come from Brogdale which is a national orchard collection which is a fantastic place um, who have something obscene like 2,500 different types of apple that's um, crazy and they and you know plums I think they've got about 500 types of plum they're the gene bank for the country and what you know what, what I've yeah. got, a, got a very privileged position at the moment that I can choose to work with people who do things that I think are fantastic and I can support them by buying buying what they make or what they grow Mm-hmm. So you know, with Brogdale, I think what well, you know they're basically underpinning biodiversity in terms of you know if we if we have monocultures of apples and a new pest comes around that wipes out a load of apples, we have a gene bank that we can go back to and then crossbreed back out and, and develop strength. Yeah. Um, and we are, but the problem is for them is they only produce you know a hundred kilos of one variety and then a hundred kilo, kilos of another variety. And that's not commercial in the sense of going to any kind of standardization of supermarket. Um, and the well, and the fruit's amazing. I can tell how excited you are just by talking to yeah, you. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, oh no, but this is the thing. It's, it's, this has been essentially five years of ideas buzzing around my head. You yeah. Know, this is this is you know you talk about um, you know Beavertown and and you know where they're at with you know their great barrel aging work. Yeah. And and they say that you know they're two years away from it's a ten year project. Yeah. For starters. Yeah, yeah, and then you look at someone like Burning Sky in Sussex, who yeah. they started uh, making fruiter age saisons what two, two and a bit years ago. Yeah, and they're just getting to the point now where the stuff where they're you know blending old and new, and they're just getting this the quality suddenly gone. What? Yeah, we're just like, saying something because they're bloody then, good at stuff. And while <laughs> and while beer co. Yep. Uh, Four hundred something barrels now. And um, I don't know, just. Judging by the brewers, maybe it's just because of what I'm into, but just judging by speaking to you and other brewers, it seems like there's going to be sort of a mixed fermentation revolution in terms of beers, maybe something parallel with the natural wine movement. It's going to be a slow one. Yeah. It's not going to be, you know, the whiz-bang pocket. I mean, would you would you go like into it. the fooder route? Do you have room for fooders, uh, small ones? We, 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 could, we could make room. I don't know, probably not. You'd have to convince Gary to buy you some first. Oh, no, he's fine with that. Um, <laughs> uh, no, he's a good man. Um, yeah, so, no, I think we're going to be... We've got a population of barrels at the moment. We have very limited space. We are we are called Urban Farmhouse. We're yeah. a small urban brewery. So is that, is, So you say Urban yeah. Farmhouse. Is this is this a separate brand as well from Red Church? Is, is it going to be the Red Church Urban Farmhouse? Or? Um... Just I've, Urban Farmhouse. I've got a branding meeting on Thursday, I'll tell you then. Okay. <laughs> um, but no, I think, Should have had you next week. Yeah, exactly. But no, I think there's um, there's always going to be coherence between the two, but there's also a separation. You know, it's a, we talk about a symbiotic relationship between the two. Um, that, you know, they do very different things and you wouldn't... Thank you very much. Um, you, you kind of... You, you need enough separation that someone's not going to, you know, expect a Paradise Pale and get a tartlet and yeah. find that confusing. But there's we are we cut from the same cloth so it's um yeah yeah symbiotic it'd be sad to lose the red church tag because you are in Mm. the red church brewery as like you know as it's been for like four years as it's been going so yeah well i'm interested to see see what happens there um so what are we going to be drinking in five years time in five years what's going to be coming out those barrels um when you get in the cool ship uh probably we need to get rid of the office 
<laughs> would, would you like to do spontaneous fermentation? Uh, yeah, I think I think that's the pinnacle. Is that of, a goal? I think that's the pinnacle of every brewer's interest in this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but as you know, as I said, you know, urban farmhouse is as much a philosophy as a name. Yeah. We are a farmhouse brewery in an environment where we haven't got all the space in the world. So in some senses, we're never going to be, you know, spontaneous lambic style producers. We'll never be lambic producers, obviously, because we're not in that area of the world. But until we have much more space, that sort of stuff won't start straight away. But for me, the really exciting bit at the moment is where the farm's going to go. And we've got... This is mad. Like, yeah. I mean, like... I get to, US I, I want have, a tractor, basically. US, <laughs> US brewers have farms, but they grow barley and they grow hops, and they and then they can talk about that provenance. But you, what no. do you want to grow? Like, um, you should talk about herbs. But we want herbs and soft fruit, and that's probably good. And basically, well, essentially, talk me through it. Um, so, so the, and you're in this is in Shropshire, so in the west. Uh, yeah, towards the Welsh border. Towards Wales. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, lovely, best part of the world, but no one knows it is, it is. It is a beautiful part of the country. It's gorgeous, yeah. Um, yeah, no, essentially we'll be planting... So we'll have a protective hedge that will stop the wind whipping across the field, which it does sometimes, like towards late. I was... I, uh, I think it was four when we moved there. Um, and four generations of my family live on it. That's awesome. Um, so it's like a lot of like old knowledge. Um, it's all sounding very Belgian at the moment. Belgian? Four generations. Yeah, because all the all the family brewers there, you know. Yeah. They're, it's all, you know, fourth, fifth, well, my more parents, generations. My parents, well, my dad's a doctor and my mum's a deacon. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so there's not too much brewing going on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, so we'll plant, um, uh, plant Juniper, Bay, uh, Douglas Fir and Sumac as a protecting okay. hedge. Yeah. Um, all basically quick growing uh, hedge type you know, tree type plants, yeah. but they give you huge amounts. So for example, you've got an apple tree, you have to wait ages for it to grow. And then you have to get ages to get a decent crop. Yeah. These you're using the branches, you're using the leaves. Yeah. So, so even your hedgerow is going to have productive. ingredients. Yep. So under the hedgerow is woodruff and that gets planted up because that grows under. Yep. Yep. We're, I mean, I, I read a lot around permaculture, um, a lot about agriculture. Yeah. Um, you know, people like Joel Salatin do some amazing things. Mm-hmm. Um, Wendell Berry, that sort of stuff. So, you know, if you're kind of reading stuff like that, you're not just thinking, going to plant loads of rye. You know, rye is great, though. Mm. Um, good over like, overwintering crop. But, yeah, so big hedge to protect. Then the main beds will be uh, lemon verbena, lemon balm, sage, rosemary, thyme. Um, I want to get some Vietnamese coriander. I think that's a really cool ingredient. Okay. Um, yarrow, woodruff. I'd, I'd like... And so... We have to say cilantro because this is oh, American yeah, yeah, American podcast. Yeah, yeah. Coriander's the seeds, but I actually well, I, no, Vietnamese um, coriander is slightly different. Vietnamese coriander is it grows more like mint. It has a quite a long kind okay. of like, long. Um, yeah, it's also called Vietnamese mint. Um, I don't know exactly what family it's in, but it's okay. pretty banging. Um, and then yeah, so that would be the basis of what we'll be growing to start off with. Uh, lavender as well on a big scale. Yeah, um, I think lavender's going to be great in beer. Uh, I don't think I've ever tried it or brewed with it, but I just you know you feeling your gut it's going to work, so it's going to work. I'll hold you to that. Yeah, it might be terrible. <laughs> yeah. um, it probably will be. Um, but yeah, so I think for me that's where we can take the farm, um, and where we can take our our kind of cells as a group. Actually, mm-hmm. I think that's a really important thing. Is like you know breweries tend to have quite a high turnover of people. Um, they it's a hard job, you know. Yeah, I think a lot of people, especially I mean as, as the London. Something I've seen in the London beer industry is people have come in and gone out because most of the businesses in in beer in London are startups now and working for a startup is monumentally difficult because you don't get paid very well and you have to work long hours. You basically have to buy into everything about the company, don't you? Yeah, Yeah. and it's what I did at at Beavetown. You know, I was... Lived and breathed it 24 hours a day, you know, and I was so proud, you know, so proud. It was like... One of the proudest moments of my career was sitting at Duke's drinking like a pint of Gamma next to a guy who just ordered Gamma and yeah. he was like, it's great. And that was like the first batches we did. And, you know, when it was like the experimental, like um, we did Omega and, and Gamma and all, it was like, yeah, it was different kind of Greek letters. Yeah. Um, in the Alpha series, as it used to be called. Um, and that was brilliant. But you live, sleep, breathe it. You don't look after yourself. You're 
partying too much and you you know it's all part of the ethos of it you just especially someone like Dukesbury and Q back in the day when it was just you know it was great busy <laughs> busy bar yeah but it's, I mean it's still ram but you yeah, eat a lot of ribs yeah. yeah and you know and I think you know what what I want to do and what we are doing with Urban Farmhouse is is putting down roots and be like yeah. right okay this is a long term plan now you know we are not we're not just juvenile we're not just the early developmental stages of growth we're like, okay, we're established. We're going to be here for a while. We've got a lot we want to achieve. You know, this is a long-term plan. Um, and it's going to take us years to get, well, not even get to the end of it or get through it. It's just going to be, it's years of work. Yeah. Um, which is going to be great. Um, but yeah, I think the farm's going to be a big part of it. And actually, you know, we work closely with various uh, fruit growers, with various herb growers, with various... Um, Hop growers, you know, we were pretty pretty tight with some of the English hop. Yeah, growers. you say you're doing a dry hop sour. You know, yeah, well, that's American hops because you know, yeah, because they work with that that flavour. Um, but yeah, you know, like um, you know, Ali Kappa um, out in Herefordshire, um, you know, is, is growing some really really interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, where we're going to be years down the road is probably hopefully sitting on a tractor. Maybe with some dungarees. With a bigger beard. You've got quite a big beard now. Just think yeah, been... a bit of a cliche. Um, yeah. uh, you know, probably a bit of grey in it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> We're um, all going a bit grey. <laughs> um, so what value does Urban Farmhouse give to Red Church? Because it's got a pretty solid core range, especially yeah, now absolutely. you've got this production brewery. You've got the solid pales, IPAs, session IPA, lager. It's a pretty, you know, st- standard craft beer range. Mm-hmm. But what is Urban Farmhouse going to add to that? Um... I think it's, well, to start off with, Urban Farmhouse um, th- kind of needs to find its own feet. It yeah. To find, and and we're, we're, we're quite open and clear about it, that it's going to be standalone in terms of it has to support itself. Yeah. This isn't just a vanity project. This isn't just us chucking stuff in wood and trying to make the place look pretty. So this has got it to can't work. be a big money spinner, but it has to, has to look has after to work. itself. It has yeah. to work, exactly. You know, it's, um, and yeah, I think, you know, you for example, we both just got come back from Indie Man. You know, you, you you go to festivals and you're expected to have not just a core range, but lots of other stuff Interesting going stuff. on. Yeah, the kind it's, of... It's a lot so, of double IPAs and barrel-aged stouts, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we won't be doing many of those. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, that sort of thing. And also, it's it it gives us as... We, I don't know, I think we're quite a... It's interesting because, you know, coming from Beavertown, which is a very um, outward brewery, you know, a lot of communication, a lot of stuff going out there, a lot of, you know, great images. They are very good of, at talking about themselves. Lo, you know, they're... A, they're a, and I love them for they're it. A, they're, yeah, they're a big presence. But also, you know, I trained at the Colonel. Yeah. And that's almost the antithesis. Who have never really done any talking. And, they just make beer. Yeah. And people and love it. I think in, yeah. in some senses, we're probably a little bit closer to the Colonel than we are to Beavertown. We're not very shouty. Um, and... We're kind of, in some senses, you know, Urban Farmhouse is for, uh, is is to give us like that kind of that new thing, you know, that new like you know to give more kind of give the guys a little outlet as well, you know, because you can get you know if you're constantly producing the same thing over and over again, you know, some brewers absolutely do that. Some brewers need a little bit more experimentation. I'm one of the ones who needs a bit more experimentation. You got a pretty tenacious sales team though, haven't you out there? Yeah, great. Yeah, 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 they're brilliant. Um, yeah. And they're all North American, or some of them. Uh, some of them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what that is, but just coincidence, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, so when you were brewing the core range back in the arch, were mm-hmm. you brewing the core stuff as well? Um, you... Yeah, yeah, I was part of, a, part of a team. Yeah, yeah. And so how does it feel to leave, you know, you, know, you put a lot of work into things like your IPA and... Mm-hmm. and your pals. How does it feel to leave those behind as you focus solely on urban farmhouse? Fine. Um, um, if I, you know, if I'm being honest, I think I'd, I got to a stage in my career where, you know, I'd spent my whole career to that point making parallels. Um, you know, gamma, neck oil, bloody L's, even though bloody L was a little bit different. And then, you know, threw into, you know, paradise and Bethnal and great Eastern. Yeah. You know, they're, you know, a good a good pale is quite up and down. You know, it's in in terms of its structure. You know, you get things all tickety boo in a line, and that's not an easy thing to do. You get it all in a line, and it's gonna sing. But it doesn't 
necessarily have the unpredictability. Yeah. There's no real spontaneity. Um, it's more planned and considered and, and kind of worked through when you, you're, you're kind of working with essentially what is a hot bill with a, a kind of a second fiddle fermentation and malt bill, um, though they play important parts. Yeah. Um, so really, you know, for me personally as a brewer, I was, I was very happy um, to not have to do that again um, and move on and look for new new challenges and, and and a new kind of fermentation and ingredient orientated approach. How do you hope that customers are going to receive this product? Because you've got, Red Church have got their fans, mm-hmm. um, but like, who, who's this aimed at? Are you aiming it at restaurants? Are you aiming it at wine fans? How, how, yeah. Yeah. How do you hope it's received? Well, it's an interesting question, isn't it? You know, are we aiming it at someone? Is there... Do I brew with a person in mind, or are you just brewing beer that you want to drink? You know, that's. I'm quite. I'm quite selfish when it comes to brewing, um, which is a good thing, right? Yeah. I, you know. I, well, I, I personally think that you should only make what you really like and really enjoy. Because because yeah. if you're trying to kind of, you know, it, it's a, and don't get me wrong, there's absolutely nothing wrong with with being a brewer in a brewery making a beer. You may be a style you don't really like because you know it's a job. Yeah, you know, and you you've got to make the books work, and you've got to you've got to keep products going that you might have inherited. Yeah. Um. But in the the kind of uh, the sort of um, footloose and fancy free world I live in, which is ridiculous, um, brilliant. Um, I only make beers I want to drink, or questions I want to. I it's always questions. Yeah. It's it's more about, you know, we've got a load of lemon time in, for example, the whole brewery is absolutely packed full of herbs at the moment because it's yeah. the end of the herb season. So we're bringing everything in and I quite like drying herbs myself because I know how they've been dried and I know it's been done the right way and then I know I can get the most out of it. Absolutely chocker. Everywhere's covered in herbs. Um, so it must smell pretty good. It's brilliant. Um, and Best smelling railway arch in Bethnal Green. Oh, yeah, just London by <laughs> mile. Um, so uh, there's a load of lemon time in at the moment and actually that's an interesting ingredient. It works in really interesting ways. So we're going to go with that. Like that's going to be what we're producing and that's what I'm interested in. And, you know, I kind of, I, you know, I think a, a long, long time ago, Evan kind of said to me that, you know, there wasn't a brewery doing American style IPAs in London and there wasn't really many no. around the UK, you know, maybe Thornbridge or, or no, Brewdog. Six, no, or, six years ago now, yeah, no one was yeah. really doing proper American style IPA in London, which is, which is crazy when you think about it. And it's crazy now to think that that has to be something you produce. Yeah, which is interesting. When you if think you about start a brewery, development, yeah. you know, like yeah, what, that's that's brand new. Um, we're just kids, to be honest with you. Like, it really is so young. Like, I think the analogy in when I spoke to, had Doreen from the Five Points on is that we we were kids, we're pimply teenagers now. I think in London, yeah, yeah, adolescent. We're, we're we're maturing pretty fast, and I see some really interesting like stuff that gives me signs. That ah, no, I think up. like all pimply teenagers, we think we're maturing faster than we are. We, th- yeah, you know, well, we, we're, yeah. we're, we're 14 and we think we can get in the pub. That, like when I grew up, you damn well try. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which you is know, great. You yeah, want yeah. that attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I think, um, what were we saying? Which isn't, <laughs> which isn't so radical in the UK because we could drink when we were 18 and no, in the nineties, no one really cared if you sort of had a little bit of stubble and, fine yeah it's a lot yeah. stricter now um but yeah no it's like uh, like how your customers are rece- going to receive yeah yeah sorry <laughs> go off tangent um when evan was talking about you know starting you know the colonel he kind of figured he really enjoyed it and a few of his friends really enjoyed it so the law of averages is there'll be other people who enjoy it yeah you know we're not we don't live on islands you know when we're, we're very interconnected and we yeah. feed off each other's ideas and especially now with you know this was five years ago so you know, Twitter and, and Facebook weren't so prevalent, but now, you know, we're so weaving yeah. in and out of each other. Yeah. And so sort of trend and fad orientated. Um, so essentially, I kind of just brew. I brew the best beers I possibly can in the ways that I love. Yeah. And using ingredients I love and working with farms I think are fantastic. Then I hope, I guess. Uh, okay, as I said, I've got a tenacious sales team. <laughs> <laughs> Is it time for mixed fermentation beers to take more of a centre stage in the UK, do you think? is is What I see happening right now is, as part of this maturity, is there's a lot more... So, you know, lager's still the main style in the UK, and but as, it is as, all and, over the world. And, and it will be. And it will be. It won't stop going. Anywhere. Forever, which is great. 
but so many brewers are brewing. I mean, Red Shirts make a lager. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Five Points make a lager. Beaver Town are but working the, the, on the, a lager. The lagers that proliferate the world aren't. No. Is it slanderous? I don't know if we're going to be a... Do we have to edit that out? It's your opinion. <laughs> um, but is it time for mixed fermentation to ride up alongside IPA and, you know, kettle sours have been a big thing here. Mm-hmm. But now we're seeing people like Burning Sky releasing blends and food of beer. We're seeing people in the UK, you know, trying to get hold of the latest Gers out of Belgium. Is that going to be a big deal, do you think, next year? Or... Maybe more long term than that. I think it's going to be, oh, you know, next year's a tricky one because you know, as you as you said, it takes years to get these things right. Um, and I don't think it's ever going to be as um, ubiquitous within kind of good beer circles of 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 IPA or pale ale. It, IPAs and pale ales um, are incredibly approachable. Um, they are very, they're full of flavors that are essentially. And you wouldn't have said that five years ago, would you? Because no. you would have said. The re- IPAs and pale ales are really hoppy, and you have to get used to it. Yeah, and but that, the, the hops in that we, terms of the UK, the hops that we use um, are there's a, a juvenile nature to some of them in terms of their flavor flavors that they have. You know, they're they're citrus, they're tropical fruits, they're yeah. You know, it's not that they're like wet dog and grass yes. and spice. You know, it's these are really like you know, it's a pack of Starburst. Um, yeah, are they called Starburst? No, Opal fruits. Well, back in the day, um, but yeah. I don't um, know if they have them in America, so we'll just say like fruit, Haribo, fruit Haribo. sweets. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, they are they are the flavors that make up you know yeah sweets that are are very approachable, very fruity, very you know grabbing. Um, yeah. and you can make a beer that you know we you know classic one people come to the bar and say you know I'm not really into bar into beer and we give them paradise and they're like cool sold brilliant I'm, I'll sit on that um, and they're over the moon. Um, the that's the thing that you can do, you know, every two weeks you can turn a tank, you can get hold of the hops if you can get a good contract, and you can produce it, and it's a hard thing to do, but when you've nailed it, you're on. Whereas mixed fermentation takes longer, um, is much more idiosyncratic, um, is, I would personally say, more difficult, but I'm sure there are a lot of, you know, IPA brewers who would scoff at that, um, and probably quite right so. So... I think it all start really going into the maybe the the part of the market that maybe you know three years ago five years ago something was getting into beer, who are like kind of just coming down the road a little bit further. You know you have a resurgence with with people like Sandal Cats. Um, you have a resurgence in interest in fermentation, um, and you look at people like you, know, you look at great authors like well Dan Barber is a chef but also a great author. You know really starting to look into growing their own ingredients on a, a real scale and, and actually doing some amazing things with food that are just taking it to a much higher level. Um, and I think that's the important thing for beer because it is the the industrialised process. It is the first industrialised process and it, it needs to go down a route for me where it becomes more in-depth and adult. Um, but this isn't anything new. This is what's been happening all over the world and then kind of shrunk away and was mm. kept alive by Belgium, yeah. essentially, and then has now proliferated back out again. So, you know, really when you talk about has is it going to have, you know, is it going to be the next thing? It's, it's not really the next thing, but it's, it's having a resurgence. Yeah. And do you worry that this method, this this resurgence, you know, it's, it's a pretty high-end beer we're talking about. We're not talking about a three-pound bottle of IPA. We're mm. talking about... High price, seven hundred and fifty mil bottles of stuff that takes a lot of time to make, so it's not going yeah. to be cheap. Do you worry that beer like this could alienate the the beer drinker, even the craft beer drinker? Um, I don't think. In terms of alienation, if I think if you were to take a product that was very much like what already existed, for example, people, you know, they they might have got into craft beer i mean i you know i think we disagree on on the use of that word but the i you know most people disagree with me on the use of that word <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but yeah so i think with um you know for example you're someone who drinks you know small locally produced beer for example yeah um and you're drinking that and you're used to paying a certain amount of money in doing what we're doing we're not then asking them to pay more for that thing that they're used to drinking um 
we're just doing something a little bit different. And we'll do our best to explain what that is and why it costs more. Um, but yeah, I mean, if people feel, I mean, the internet's a funny world. Um, I avoid it. I try to, I basically live in a cave. Um, I live in a railway arch and I quite like it that way and I'm on my Todd all day. Um, I'm not really technically minded and, uh, or technology minded. And I think the internet's got some pretty dodgy bits to it. Um, I don't pay any attention to what happens on rate beer or Twitter. I don't have a Twitter account. I think I have a Twitter account. I, think I tweeted once. Um, I sound like my mum. Um, <laughs> he's a wonderful woman. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think, um, you know, people are going to get upset because they have an idea of what this thing beer should be. And they're entitled to be upset because that's what they want to do. Well, well, they can just get upset if that's what I'll do. It doesn't really... I, I live in a cave. I just make booze. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, have, I don't think yeah. I have any big answers because I actually, yeah. in a sense, don't really think about them. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the show, man. Appreciate, Appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks for listening, folks. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with James and that you're looking forward to tasting the beers that come out of the Urban Farmhouse as much as I am. I'd love to find out how you guys are enjoying these podcasts. So tweet me at Total Curtis or give GBH a call on 773-769-7709. Just add 001 to the front if you're in the UK. If you leave a message, we might even include it in the podcast at a later stage. On the site this week is a wonderful profile of Belgium's Verzette Brewery by Brendan Kearney. This is a young brewery that's challenging a lot of the traditions and preconceptions surrounding the Belgian brewing industry. You can also read our critical drinking interview with Beavertown founder Logan Plant and find out what makes the owner of one of London's fastest growing breweries tick. Our music is produced by Andrew Thibodeau and our sound engineer is Jordan Stalling of Particle Audio. Aim true, poor liberal folks. Have a great week.